We've been in a series uh, about the gifts of the Christmas spirit. Of all the characters in the story, uh, the one that gets uh, sort of left behind and missed is the Holy Spirit. And yet the Spirit is present uh, all throughout um, the Christmas story. He's empowering and he's bringing joy, truth. Um, and so, yeah, so the first week we, we talked about truth and we, we saw that truth is sometimes painful. It hurts. Uh, when the Spirit gives the gift of truth, sometimes it's like, oh, it's a little bit of a knife in the gut. Um, and that's, it's, it's hard, but it, it, it leads to good and beautiful things if we have the courage and the, and the wherewithal and the endurance to, to hear it and to, and, to, and to listen to it. And so I encouraged us to be people who are ready to give the word of the Lord to others and to be kind of people who can, can receive it too. Then last week we talked about joy. And uh, we had the bad news that you can't manufacture joy in your life. No matter how big a TV you purchase, you will not be able to create joy in your life. I know, hard to believe, because every time it gets larger, it's like, oh, yes. But, but truly, that joy is something that comes from the truth of God. Uh, and really, that that's uh, where it, it wells up, it surprises us, and, and, and we, we don't see it coming. And if we're the kinds of people, uh, instead of looking to try and seize and grab joy for ourselves, instead we should be the sort of people who are willing to bring God's word and God's uh, surprises into the lives of others so that they may have joy. This week, uh, we're talking about power and possibility. We all know uh, the truth. We know what the real story is, and that is that the world has a set of rules, and those rules are incontrovertible. You can't go outside of them. The world has set up some lines, and if you want to succeed and you want to do well in the world and you want to be successful and you want to have a good life, you have to play within these lines. Uh, We know now, uh, especially since we've had all these news reports of Various people in, in the media and Hollywood uh, being accused of terrible sexual crimes. We know that uh, in order to get to the top of, of you know, American culture, to become elite, in order to, to rise up, you have to be the kind of person who's willing to be dirty, who's willing to do things in a very um, compromising way. You've got to be willing to, to cut throats and, and, and you've got to be willing to slit hamstrings as you climb to the top. And you have to be the kind of person who's willing to use other people and treat them not as ends but as means for your own pleasure, your own happiness. And if you do this, and if you're ruthless about it, and you're cynical about it, you really can get all that the world has to offer. And and we, we have been just shocked. Well, maybe not shocked, but certainly it's been like, Wow, okay, so in order to get behind the camera and to be a famous, flashy person, I need to be the kind of person who does X, Y, and Z. If I want to win, I got to, if I want power, then that's how you get it. But for Christians, that's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer because it seems like we want to, to be the sorts of people who um, are benefit, uh, benefiting uh, from power. and we, we want to be the sort of people who benefit from living a life done rightly. We want to be the sort of people who are, are you know, and, and we are, for the most part, we really are people who are trying to live humble, moral, meek lives, following the Savior's footsteps, being kind, gentle, doing all of those things. And we look and we see these people at the top and they're, and they're just not great. And we wonder, God, where's your power? 
Here I am trying to do things your way, and yet I just keep getting passed over. I keep getting stomped on. There's always a boot on my neck. I'm the one who always ends up at the bottom of the heap. Where's your power? What? Doesn't God have power? And this is uh, the question that I'd like to animate our discussion today. Doesn't God have power? Why doesn't he use that power for me? Why doesn't he show up in power and make some changes for me? And as we journey through the text today, I think we're going to get some, uh, a picture of what God's power and possibility looks like. And I think we're going to get a, a, an opportunity to rethink how God's power, uh, the power of the Spirit, is manifest in our lives as a community, as individuals, as families. And hopefully, we'll have a, a fresh expectation of what God's power is going to do in our lives this Christmas. So let's read about uh, Mary's encounter uh, with the angel. This is Luke 1, 26 to 37. My translation, um, Luke has a very, uh, his, his Greek is very vivid, and, it's, and, it's, and there's a lot of flourish to it. And I've tried to draw that out so that it really feels um, to our ears the same way it would have felt in the first century to those who were uh, native Greek speakers. When, Eliz- when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. This message confused her, and Mary wondered, What sort of greeting is this? The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary, because God has set his favor on you. Listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will, be call, he will be great and called Son of the Most High. God the King, the Lord God, will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, how is that possible? How will this happen since I haven't had sex with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. Listen, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled barren is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. It's an interesting story. uh, I'd like you to think about this. Notice that, um, so an angel appears to Mary, right? Angel Gabriel. And in our minds, we tend to think of angels as like, you know, glowing, floaty people with wings. Uh, that's probably not the case, because notice, notice that um, Mary encounters the angel. She is confused, but she's not confused by an angel coming to her. She's confused by what he says. Uh, this might be an indicator that angels um, aren't uh, floaty people with wings and halos. Uh, in fact, angels are just, in the Hebrew um, for angel, it really just means messenger. It's just somebody who God sends uh, to, to give um, information, kind of one of God's emissaries, as it were. And so they don't have to look spectacular. Uh, Gabriel could just look like a normal guy. But he does look like, so let's just assume he looks like a normal guy. He walks in and he says, rejoice favored one. Last week we talked about how Luke uh, uses uh, divine passives. Uh, literally in the Greek, it's uh, rejoice you who have found favor, you who are favored. And the idea is, well, it's not, I mean, who, favored with who, right? Well, God. Rejoice you who have found favor with God. You God honored, God favored one. You're special in God's sight, so be happy. And Mary encounters this. 
The Lord is with you. And then she's confused. And she says, what sort of greeting is this in her mind? And that, of course, is because this is totally, completely upside down for how things go. Remember, Mary's probably a teenage girl. She's uh, from the country. She's rural. She's uh, not in the know. Not only that, she doesn't have much family to speak of. She's, she's kind of a nobody. And if you're a nobody in the ancient world, especially if you're female, and a man that you don't know comes to the door, what's supposed to happen is he's supposed to say uh, shalom, and you're supposed to say shalom back. Then you're supposed to end, uh, draw him in and, and provide hospitality and you know, maybe get him some tea or something like that and make him feel comfortable. Ask uh, a few questions about your, your common relations so you know how this man is connected to you. That's what's supposed to happen in the ancient world. Mary opens the door and it's rejoice, one who is favored by God. In fact, you might even feel the sense of, of the angel maybe even kneeling a little bit, maybe bowing to her a little bit. Mary, you're special. You're, you're up there. You're elevated. You're interesting. You're worthwhile. This is, this is honestly, it's, it's a little bit scandalous. I mean, Mary might be thinking, are you trying to move in on Joseph? He seems like a good guy. Why would you come to me with, with that? I, I should be bowing before you. I should be taking care of you. Uh, you have this status. I have this status. And yet you're flipping that upside down. In fact, uh, when uh, that word, what sort of greeting this is this, uh, it might actually mean, um, we're not sure, but there's a flavor of that word that means something like, uh, what nation is this greeting from? Where is this greeting coming from? It's as if Mary is, is meeting this guy and he's, uh, probably speaking Aramaic to her, but he's saying such strange things that she's like, what country are you from, you weird foreigner? No one talks like this. You're a fish out of water, you nut. Because everything that's happening is turning her world upside down. In Mary's world, Mary's a nobody. And it's impossible for a person like Mary to have anything like this happen to her. And that's the first thing on your note sheets. According to the world's rules, it's impossible for someone like Mary to be lifted up or elevated like this. This is not something that, that goes, if you're, if you're trying to move up the corporate ladder, this is not the way it's supposed to go. This isn't how the world works. The world has a set of boundaries and rules, and we live within those, and those kind of set the possibilities for what's happening. And suddenly in Mary's world, she opens the door, and those get flipped radically upside down. Uh, let's continue on in the, in, the, in the story. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, because God has set his favor on you. Listen, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. You'll name him Jesus. He'll be great and called Son of the Most High. The Lord God, God the King, will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will rule over Jacob's house forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. You know, she's like, what? maybe 15 years old, 16 probably-ish, be our best guess. And God has set his favor on you. Again, Luke uses the passive, uh, it, it reads, um, you have found favor with God. But really, if we read it that way, it might be that like Mary was doing something really great, and, and so she was so awesome and perfect and wonderful, and so God looked and said, you're the one I love. Not so. Nothing about Mary is special or interesting at all. She is just a country girl. And yet, God has looked over all the earth, and he's seen her, and he's decided to set his grace, that's another word for grace, favor or grace, on her. This should remind us of, of the way God chose Israel. It's not like Israel was a great, awesome, powerful, wonderful country. In fact, if we say anything about Israel, it was like the weakest, pathetic, most 
most pathetic, terrible, weak, you know, awful country. And God said, what better place to show how great I am than to take something so weak and so fragile and make it great? And we have the same sense here. I'll just go up to the north into this you know, rural country. The girl probably can't even read. She's a nobody in the world. I'm going to set her up. And then I'm going to do crazy things. Listen, you're going to have a son. Um, he's going to be called Jesus. That's Yeshua. Um, probably it means like God saves, which is interesting. Um, not uncommon in the day. But the next thing is super uncommon. He'll be great and called son of the most high. In, in, the, in the language of the day, that would have meant like no one would be able to look at this guy and have any doubt that he is deeply connected and sourced in God the King. That this man has a special, powerful connection to God the King. It'll be undeniable. This uh, label doesn't get used a lot. We don't, we don't just throw this out regularly. This is something really special. In fact, she might even be hearing, might even be hearing Messiah, the Savior of Israel. And then it gets confirmed because guess what? God, the, the true king, he's, he's going to give your son the throne of his ancestor David. You country girl are the mother of the king. The true king, the king uh, who will rule forever, whose kingdom will never end. The text uh, goes on um, to say, Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen? Uh, I haven't had sex with anyone. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The sense there is that the, the power of the Spirit, this incredible event is going to take place where even though uh, all the biology and all the science doesn't make sense, you're still going to conceive. You're still going to be a mother. And somehow through that, the Holy Spirit's going to be a part of that and make it happen. And the one who was born will be holy because he's going to be different than any other child ever born. And he'll be called Son of God. Again, this label, Mary, you, country girl, your son is going to be called the son of God, known by all as the king sent from most high. And then listen, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman, who was labeled barren, is now six months pregnant. In the ancient world, uh, it's very true that um, women were, who did not bear children were derided. They were looked down on. Uh, it was um, partially because of the, the way that people thought value came from, but value came from fruitfulness in children. Because typically, uh, in the ancient world, if you didn't have kids, you would starve to death. Because if you don't have children, then when you get old and infirm, no one can take care of you. Uh, remember, children in the ancient world is like an insurance plan. It's like, uh, it, I, I'm going to have kids so that once my back starts to hurt, remember, everyone's like a farmer in the ancient world. When my back hurts too much to do that labor, thank goodness I've got this 12-year-old kid who loves me because I've been feeding him all his life who's going to start doing it for me. It's a good, good deal to have kids in the ancient world. And if you didn't, then people started to look down on you. And, and the ancient world, they didn't really understand, uh, they, they typically blamed barrenness on women which we know is not the case, but that's how they thought. And so there's this lady, Elizabeth, who's an older cousin, and, and older, by the way, it means uh, past menopause, okay? Uh, probably not, you know, ancient of day. I mean, we live a lot longer than ancient people did, but really what this means is that from a biological, scientific perspective, Elizabeth is done. She had a shot, things didn't work out right, and, and there will be no children for her. She uh, is barren. And so they gave, this is like a pejorative nickname 
Um, when Elizabeth was walking around the town, people would be like, there's the barren one. And that would have been um, sort of like gossip or um, yeah, just being mean, uh, whispering behind her back. So biologically, in the ancient world, did understand that uh, you know, once you've hit menopause, um, that childbearing years are, are over and done with. So the ancient world knows that this is impossible. This is, this is crazy. Moreover, the ancient world <laughs> knows, and Mary knows, well, uh, I haven't been with any guy, so this doesn't seem like it's possible. It seems like uh, all the, the rules of like, how these, this stuff is supposed to get done, that you're just kind of throwing it out the window. I mean, this is crazy. And that's the, the next thing in your note sheets. According to the world's rules, it's impossible for someone like Mary's son to be king, or for even to have a son, or for someone like Elizabeth to be pregnant. And that's cool. When we started, we were like, well, okay, God, you're supposed to be powerful. Aren't you powerful? Don't you? You're the Holy Spirit. Like, your whole thing is like to, why don't you use some of that power for me, right? Where, where is that, God? I see this awesome story. This is really neat, and I believe that this happened, that, that your Holy Spirit came and, and did these incredible things, and, and, and Mary uh, was, was, was made pregnant with Jesus, and Elizabeth was made pregnant with John the Baptist. Yes, incredible, Lord, I believe, but why, what about me? I think one thing we might ask is what kind of power is being exercised here? How is it that the Spirit is working? What is the Spirit up to? What is the Spirit trying to accomplish? And is it different, maybe, than what we expect or think that power should be like? So um, head back to the text. Listen, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He will be great and called Son of the Most High. God the King will give him what? The throne of his ancestor David. He will rule over Jacob's house forever and there will be no end to his kingdom. Mary, great news. Your son is going to be a warlord. Yeah, like the blood on his hands is going to be so high that even the Roman Empire is going to shake in their boots when he comes down the street. Because if you're living in the ancient world, um, and especially in Israel, and, and you hear the, the throne of his ancestor David ruling over Jacob's house, this is what you're thinking about. This right here, this, yes, that. You can see Hanukkah, right, getting ready to celebrate. Who's celebrating Hanukkah? Nobody, okay. Um, our Jewish friends are not here today. Hanukkah, we all know uh, what Hanukkah is. Hanukkah is the celebration of um, the Maccabean Revolt. Uh, right, so if you recall, this guy Antiochus Epiphanes was a, an Egyptian ruler. He came in to uh, Jerusalem and he came to the temple and he desecrated the temple. He uh, put a stop and made blasphemous all um, holy Jewish worship. He uh, said that Yahweh is a fake God. I'm the real God. You all need to worship me. This was horrifying to the people of Israel. This happened uh, right around second, uh, first century BC. And so this, uh, this noble family, they had uh, two um, sons, one Judas and one Simon. And Judas Maccabee was a hot head, and he was a, he was a tough guy, and he said, this will not stand. I'm not cool with this. And he said, we're going to fight. 
We're not going to take this. So he, ra- he goes around the countryside, and, and we, you can read about this in the Apocrypha and First and Second Maccabees uh, primarily. The, his, the history is, is solid in those texts. He, he goes around and he, he rallies all of the, the, the people and all the Jews in, in, the, in Palestine, and he's like, we have got to get rid of this guy. We've got to kick down the doors. And one of the interesting things that happens is uh, at the beginning, they lose the war. They're, they're getting torn up. And the reason they're getting torn up is because um, they're Jewish and they recognize uh, Sabbath. So on Sunday, they put their swords down. They're like, well, no work today. And uh, the Antiochus very quickly catches on to this and says, maybe we should begin all our assaults on Sunday. And that's really effective. And starts wiping out um, all the, the, the Jewish revolutionaries. And finally, Simon uh, Maccabee, Judas's brother, uh, gets, he says he has a word from the Lord saying that uh, the Sabbath does not apply when it comes to revolting against Antiochus Epiphany. We're allowed to fight on Sunday. And with that, the Jews come back. They oust Antiochus Epiphany. They burn blood, violence, horror. And, and they, they then reestablish the temple. All is well. And if you're Mary and you're anyone else, when you hear the king when you hear that your son will be the king, he's, he's going to be just like Judas. Just like Judas Maccabee. He's going to come in. People are going to rally to him. And his sword is going to be wet with blood as he kicks off now the Roman rather than a Greek oppressor. But that's not how the story goes. The story doesn't go like that at all. In fact, if Jesus does anything, he does exactly the opposite of that. And there are times in, in the gospel accounts where people are like, Jesus, are you ready to take up the sword? And Jesus is like, nope, I'm good. I'm going to do it this way. Different. Jesus, is it time now to, uh, to, to go out there and do the stuff that we need to do? Or, or what? And I think what's going on is that uh, Jesus has a different notion of what is possible. And what he wants to do is not just, I don't know, go by the world's rules and, and, and color within the lines and, and do things the way that we know things work. He wants to set up an entirely different paradigm, an entirely different established set of rules, a set of rules in which uh, kingdoms and, and, and powers are not relegated to those with swords and crowns, um, and, and a world in which temples are not just physical places, a world in which uh, sin and death no longer uh, control and, and destroy everyone. He wants to completely set the stage for a completely different new way of of thinking through life. If, if we're going to say it, what he really wants to do is open up brand new possibilities. And this is um, the next thing in your note sheets, I think. The power of the Spirit is the power to present new possibilities. Possibilities that don't fit in with the world's way of doing things, where power rules, um, where it, it, it's, it's all about who's got uh, which boot on whose neck. It, it's not that anymore. That's being swept aside. And, 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 G, and the power of the Spirit is, is when we're, our eyes are open and we see that there's a different way of going about stuff, a different way that is, that is foreign to the world and yet actually works. It actually happens. I believe that 
this is real, that this is actually something that we see in our history. It's not just something that we read in the Bible, that it's all just, you know, it's just this, this fantasy story. I believe it's something that's actually real in our history that we can look back and say, you know what, it's true. The Holy Spirit, through human beings, empowering them, Christians, has come up with ways that have radically turned the world upside down, has changed the world because changed our idea of what is possible. I would like to share a few of those with you to give you a sense of what we're talking about. The first um, is slavery. If you were a person living anywhere in the world, this world, in the year 1000 AD, and someone said to you, guess what? Slavery is not the best way to deal with other human beings. They would say, you're nuts. I got a picture here of the, uh, you know, making the, the pyramids, right? The Egyptians, they enslaved people, and apparently it took like 20, 30 years to, to build one of these pyramids, and so day in and day out, they would just enslave others uh, to, to make it work. It wasn't until 1100, 1200 A.D. in uh, Great Britain that... Uh, that chattel slavery was actually for the first time outlawed. This was wild and crazy. Is this going to work? Not only, but while chattel slavery might have been uh, outlawed, there was still um, indentured servitude, which was pretty much the same thing. It's, it's kind of what, uh, when, when Marx talks about uh, wage slaves, it was kind of that. The idea being that he, you, even if you don't technically own another human being, they live and die on the land where they were born, and they, they slave away all day, every day, and there's really no hope for any other kind of life. This is just the way the world works. In fact, it, it, the Apostle Paul, people say, why didn't Paul stop slavery? Paul had no idea that there was a, a way of doing life where there weren't slaves. It was just a feature of the universe. Human society, human economics, human countries, human uh, national groups, they simply rely on slavery to survive. And without it, the whole thing falls apart. Interesting. 23 years, uh, that's the best guesstimate of what it would take to make a pyramid in Egypt. 23 years, slave labor to get a pyramid. In the free societies of the West, uh, we were able, during World War II, to build an entire aircraft carrier in six months. An aircraft carrier, which is a lot more impressive than a pyramid, because it floats, you can land planes on it, it has guns. (laughs) What do you do with a pyramid? I mean, I guess you just sit there. Really, that's what they do. They die, and they just sit there. Awesome. Six months, we could go from, you know, here's the first piece to the aircraft carrier. Not one person impressed, not one person under slavery, not one person, everyone basically at that point volunteering uh, because it's the war effort. It, human beings of their free capabilities are able to do more impressive things than slavery. And if you told someone that a thousand years ago, they would laugh at you because it's impossible. That's not how human society works. That's outside the lines. Next one. Overpopulation. You give an academic math, and they will tell you a terrible story. True fact, in 1798, Thomas Malthus, um, he was an English uh, philosopher, mathematician. He started calculating what was going to happen to the world as, as people kept having babies. 
And he was like, it's going to look something like this. Ah! Yeah. Uh, he was like, what's going to happen is uh, we're not going to be able to keep up um, with able to pr- produce food. Um, there's going to be famine, disaster, war, blah, blah, blah. In the 1970s, Paul Ehrlich, a, an academic at Stanford, decided it had been too long since we'd had some Malthusian uh, you know, distress. And so he wrote the book, The Population Bomb. And he tells us that, hey, within 50 years, like, it's going to be world wars all over the place, famine, disaster, because we just can't keep up with, um, with food production of, of human popula- for human populations. It just doesn't work. The science isn't there. But nobody anticipated that people would, uh, some actually Christian scientists we've talked about before, um, would come and develop uh, hardier crops, crops that could survive in different zones. No one thought that people would come along and using genetic and, and, and uh, modifications would, would be able to make crops that grow really fast and produce a whole lot of food. In fact, no one thought that we would ever be in a place where we are today, you know, six, what, seven billion people in the world. How many is it? It's so hard to keep track. We are at a place right now where if, um, if we wanted to, if we, if we just decided to like focus on it, we could feed every person in the world three squares a day. That's how much food gets produced, basically by our country. We have enough food to feed the entire world. Six, seven billion people, whatever it is. The only you know, issue is that there's warlords over here and blah, blah, blah. But in terms of actual possibility... Something unprecedented happened because, I believe, the Holy Spirit got involved and started saying, let's not live with inside the, uh, these lines anymore. Let's dream a little bit bigger. Let's go a little bit farther. In fact, if you think your power can do X, Y, or Z, I've got some news for you. I can go beyond that. I can do something you would never believe. And right now, we live, for the first time in history, in our country, where the poorest people are the fattest. That's right. We are now in a situation where you actually have to work to starve to death, at least in the United States. Because God said, you know what? Your rules are cute. But with me, nothing is impossible. Next one. Wealth. This is, how, this is what wealth used to be. There's a pie, and there's dollars, Right? Maybe this is how you think of wealth. If you do, you're not up to date. Uh, it was thought that there's a limited number of resources, gold, dollars, whatever, uh, and everyone's trying to get their slice of that pie, right? That's how, that's how money wealth works, okay? We go in, and, and necessarily, by carving out my slice of the pie, I'm elbowing somebody else off the table. Like, they're, they're by feeding my family, I'm condemning some other person to poverty or what have you. And then mercantilism came, then the Enlightenment came, then study, uh, Christians, all of them Christians, studying economics, started to realize that wealth is not a zero-sum game, one pie where everyone's trying to get their slice. Wealth is value. And value is in every single person's imagination, every, within every single person's possibility, their purview. Anything is possible. In fact, if you just have an idea, if you can just figure out a way to make something easier for somebody else, you can actually make that pie get bigger. Bigger and bigger and bigger. There doesn't appear to be any limit to value. 
something that makes no sense. We, we look at it like intuitively as human beings, we're like, well, there's only so much gold in the world. You know, it's got to be parsed out. That's not how it works. The world's rules said X, and then some people, some Christians came along, and their eyes were enlightened, and they just started playing outside the lines. I'm not saying that capitalism is like perfect, and we should all be, you know, libertarian, Austrian economists, whatever it is. Um, but but I, am, I am saying that, that uh, what appears to be in, in concrete, what appears to be the way it is, what appears to be the way we have to live in order to survive here, is often not. And it is the power of God through the Spirit to open our eyes, to bring us into new pastures with new rules outside those lines, so that what can happen is something that nobody could have suspected or predicted. Isn't it interesting that right now, I think, what is it, that the top 1% have like 50% of the world's wealth or something like that? Or maybe it's America, I can't remember. You hear that, and so then you expect um, the poor to be just living destitute. What's interesting is that now we're in a place in the world where even the poor have cell phones. They can access the internet. They can catch on the news, post emojis to their friends. Isn't that wild? The difference in what poverty was, you know, even just a hundred years ago and to now. And it's not, and there are some crazy gazillionaires out there that I'm like, you're not a good person. And I'm not recommending that we all go that route. But, but, outside the lines, something beautiful is possible that no one could have predicted. Last one. Identity. This one's so critical. Uh, Especially now where um, we're in a, a time and space in the world where Everyone wants to, to say that, that um, they're different from everybody else because I'm, you know, um, what, straight, white, whatever, and this person's that, and this person's that, and so we're, we're all different. Um, and, and the more we, we recognize our, uh, this one's rich, poor, whatever, uh, this person's from this class and has this family, this person's from that one, and we're, this person's from national, uh, this country and that country, and everybody is, is, is focused on who am I? Who am I to the exclusion of everybody else? Right? And we're moving in a place in the culture where, uh, because I guess no one reads history, and so they don't know that when you start doing this, you start wars. Like, that's how violence happens, when you start emphasizing your differences. But whatever, our people in this country are crazy, and they're doing it. And so we're all focused on who am I, who am I, who am I. And so we're all looking a little bit like this, trying to get in the mirror and say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm, I'm, I'm him, I'm her, I'm, I'm da, 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 da. How is it possible for radically diverse people to get along? Well, when the Holy Spirit regenerates you in faith, you become a child of God. You enter into a brand new family, freed from the chains of sin and death, a family that is no respecter of class, no respecter of race, no respecter of money, no respecter of power, no respecter of whatever it is that we want to identify ourselves by. Instead, we're all one new race, brothers and sisters brought equally before one God. And if anybody has taught the world how to do diversity, it has been the church of Jesus Christ. Not perfectly, but now the world wants to try and do it without Christ. And again, they're going to be subjected to the the rules that don't work. And we're going to see increasing hate, increasing violence, And the whole time we're going to be shaking our heads and saying, 
of spirit of God has a better way. I want to look at the text one last time. Nothing is impossible for God. The uh, language there literally would be uh, something like uh, no word or no saying of God can fail. Right? Anytime God speaks, it cannot fail. And, and colloquially, colloquially, we'd say nothing is impossible for God. He, he, he can do whatever he decides. He just speaks it and it is. I wonder, I wonder how narrow um, our thinking is. I wonder if we really believe that. I wonder if um, in our individual lives, in our corporate life, if we really believe that anything's possible, that the dreams that we dream could be real. It seems to me that, that if God can, can make uh, Mary pregnant and Elizabeth pregnant, if he can just subvert the laws of biology for his, his needs, he can do just about anything. The issue is, is it something he wants to do? Right? That's the only thing that matters. Is God in this? If God is in this, it will succeed regardless. If God is in this, everything can be turned upside down. All of the lines are, his power is unlimited and we will see it. It only matters. The only question is whether or not he's in it. We uh, tend to think that, that, you know, power comes from boots and slitting of throats and whatnot. What God says is he says power looks like Christ. It's gracious. It's self-giving. It never quits. It's relentless. It's gentle. It's kind. And it rejuvenates. It forgives. It causes repentance. It, it, that's what real power is. That's the kind of power that breaks open new possibilities. That's the kind of power that can end slavery and make it so that everyone can have cell phones. It's that kind of power, that, that self-giving love that people, when they're experiencing it and, and they're a part of it, that a, every uh, horizon gets, gets blown wide open. And nothing is impossible when I'm there saying, I'm going to go for it, and if you follow me and do things my way, the world's rules don't apply anymore. And anything can happen. It's Christmas. And uh, I, um, I like to get gifts. You know that. I'm not a, not a giver, more of a receiver. You know. Aaron's like, hey, we're not doing gifts for each other this year. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I just found out this week uh, that we have in our congregation a couple of um, very generous givers. And those generous givers have decided to completely redo our sound system, top to bottom. Here's something I heard. I heard this. I heard that, um, this is several years ago, I heard that right now, if you were a church in Orange County and you stick to the word of God, to the grace of God, and to, and to the belief that we are a family of believers, you're doomed. 
your church will fade. Your church is getting pushed out because it doesn't fit with the way the Orange County does things. It doesn't fit with the world's rules. It's not good enough. It's just so much of a throwback. It's just not modern. It's, it's you know how it's supposed to be, and, and you just can't make it. If God is in something, anything is possible. Anything is possible. If you told me a year ago that we we're going to get, so now so you'll be able to hear me when I'm talking. It's awesome. I'm so pumped. I'm worried, though, because then people will be like, wait, this is terrible. <laughs> if you told me, I'd be like, that's crazy. We don't have that. We can't do that. That's impossible. Oh, well, I guess you didn't realize that God's involved. And he's in the business of breaking and shattering the world's rules, going outside and doing something incredible, something wild, something you could never have predicted. And when it happens, um, just rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. Because that's all you can do. You're just on, you're in it, you're on the ride. Just enjoy the ride. Be a part of what God's doing, and then, man, don't worry about anything else because it is going to be incredible. Brothers and sisters, we are right now in our midst, in this place, we are in the midst of God doing something fantastic. And it is unbelievable for me to sit here and watch as all the tough stuff of church goes on, people being sick, people at each other's throats, and all the things that we do, all of that stuff, watching in the middle of all of that as incredible blessings fall on us left and right. The future is unbelievably bright because God's happy to take the world's rules and just destroy them. And maybe that is something that needs to happen in your own family, in your own life. Maybe there are some places where you're like, you know what, I just can't, I can't let the self-giving, gracious love of God invade in that part because everything is going to fall apart. And it's a, Maybe, maybe you're not hearing, you're not seeing, you're not listening to the real power of God to open up new possibilities. Because when God does it, man, It's really, really good. Let's pray. Gracious God, we uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your gifts to this church, the legacy that we have, studying your word, loving it, just living in your grace, treating each other like family. God, thank you for the way that you have changed the world and you've broken the rules and you've shown us things that we couldn't have imagined simply by the power of your spirit and self-giving love in people. God, we confess right now that you're in the midst of doing that here at this place. God, I pray that we'll be people who just get on the ride, who live and follow and love you. And look eagerly to the future that you have for us. God, thank you that you who could make Mary conceive and Elizabeth give birth are authoring life here in our congregation now. Make us live with vitality and joy before you. Freed, forgiven, and expectant. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.